Thank you. General questions concluded. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. This week, veteran SNP MSP Fergus Ewing voted against his own government when he refused to support Hamza Yusuf's decision to back Green Minister Lorna Slater in a vote of no confidence. There are reports that he's going to sack Fergus Ewing because of this. Is he? First Minister. Well, I'm not going to go into issues that are matters for our group. What I will say to Douglas Ross is I'm not going to take any lectures on leadership from Douglas yeah. Ross. <laughs> Douglas Ross, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, who just this week was unable to muster his own Scottish Tory MPs to vote to sanction Boris Johnson. He says, Douglas Ross says, they did. Of course, the soon-to-be Lord Jack did not. So let's be honest, Douglas Ross isn't the leader of the Scottish Conservatives. It is the Cabinet's man in Scotland, Alistair Jack. Yeah. Douglas Ross. Well, let's... Let's start with number eight. This is a government issue because it was a government vote of no confidence in a government minister. And surely Hamza Youssef can be honest with the people across Scotland if he takes it seriously that one of his own MSPs refused to support him. Because on the day that farmers and crofters all over Scotland come to Edinburgh for the start of the Highland Show, the First Minister is reported to be considering sacrificing a former Cabinet Secretary for Rural Affairs and one of the longest-serving SNP MSPs for a Green Minister who has failed time and time again. Fergus Ewing Thank backed you. a Scottish Conservative vote of no confidence in the Green Minister, Lorna Slater, because of her dreadful performance in post, especially the disastrous handling of the deposit return scheme, which has cost businesses time and money and has completely flopped. For green support, he's sacrificing Fergus Ewing, the son of Winnie Ewing, one of the SNP's most famous representatives. We've members, gone, members, let's have orderly conduct, we've please. Gone, we've gone from stop the world, the SNP wants to get on, to stop the SNP, Fergus Ewing is getting off. So why is he considering losing a party stalwart who is standing up for Scottish businesses while keeping an incompetent Green Minister who has lost their confidence? First Minister. Can I uh, just remind Douglas Ross, of course, that this Parliament voted to back Lorna Slater yeah, and this Government yeah, yeah. when it came to that vote of no confidence. And I'll tell you why they did that, Presiding Officer. They did that because the deposit return scheme was Excuse not sabotaged. Me, First Minister. First Minister. Excuse me, Mr Hoy. Can I ask all members who feel compelled to intervene any time a member is asking or responding to a question to cease? We will conduct our proceedings in an orderly manner as required by our standing orders. First Minister. The reason why they don't want to hear this, presiding officer, is because the, the blame squarely lies with the UK government yes. when it comes yeah, to the sabotaging of the deposit return scheme. The reason why this parliament backed this government, backed Lorna Slater when it came to that vote of no confidence, is because they know that it was the UK government's 11th hour intervention that completely uh, torpedoed the deposit return scheme. 
What have we seen from the UK government? What have we seen from Douglas Ross when it comes to that deposit return scheme? We have seen more flip-flopping from Douglas Ross on the deposit return scheme. He stood not on one manifesto, but on two manifestos to include glass within the deposit yeah. return scheme. Yeah. But of course, when Alistair Jack gets involved, suddenly Douglas Ross changes his tune. Yeah. And how dare he, how dare he talk about the impact on farmers when it is the hard Brexit imposed by the UK government that has caused such damage to our farmers up and down this country. You don't have to, you don't have to take my word for it, presiding officer. You can take the NFU Scotland's word for it. Uh, here, uh, the, the, the president of the NFU Scotland, Martin Kennedy, and I'll quote him directly. He said, the Brexit dividend certainly hasn't come about at all. And all the things that we were concerned about, the whole reason that Members. we backed Remain at the time, they've all come to fruition. So perhaps Douglas Ross, if he doesn't want to listen to me, should listen to the farmers of this country. Yeah. Douglas Ross. I'd, I'd love Thank to... you. I'd love to listen to Hamza Youssef actually giving an answer to a question. There are serious questions to be raised about the conduct of one of his MSPs who has voted against his own government on a vote of no confidence. So if he says it was a right decision to back Lorna Slater, what does that say about Fergus Ewing? Hamza Youssef, the First Minister who won't suspend Nicola Sturgeon, who's under police investigation, looks like he will suspend Fergus Ewing for challenging green incompetence. Now, the First Minister has also said this deal with the Greens is worth its weight in gold. But then he quoted NFU Scotland. So let me do the same. At 10.50 this morning, from the Highland Show, so just over an hour ago, the National Farmers Union of Scotland highlighted their concerns with the Nationalist pack with the Greens. They warned, and this is a quote from NFU President Martin Kennedy, Hardening of the green agenda is giving cause for serious concern, not only for rural businesses, but for the Scottish economy as a whole. Not my words, the words of the NFU president in Scotland. He went on to say they doubt very much that solutions to key rural issues will be possible while the Butte House agreement continues. So in the week of the Royal Highland Show, Scotland's biggest agricultural event, doesn't this show that the SNP has abandoned rural Scotland? First Minister. We, we, of course, the SNP, represent most of rural Scotland, yeah, yeah, presiding yeah. Uh, officer. So let's leave that to the verdict of the Scottish Thank you, people. members. And I'll tell you, we were talking about a recycling scheme a moment ago. Uh, thank goodness that brass can be recycled because there's plenty of brass neck from Douglas Ross when he talks about conduct of parliamentarians. For the leader of the Scottish Conservatives to talk about conduct of parliamentarians after Boris Johnson has just been sanctioned this very week shows an incredible First level Minister. of hypocrisy, presiding officer. Members, you will be aware of the requirement to conduct, but to conduct yourselves in an orderly manner. And, you know, I'd be grateful if people could reflect on how they are behaving at this moment. People have gathered here to hear and listen to questions and responses. First Minister. 
They don't want to listen. Listen how they bark in defence of Boris Johnson whenever he's mentioned, uh, presiding uh, officer. Let me also say, when it comes to rural Scotland, uh, is, is it simply a fact that the Conservatives have completely betrayed rural Scotland because of their hard Brexit imposed uh, upon them? And that is why, for example, the Conservatives won't back our sensible plans for a rural visa pilot. That would help our agriculture community, our sector, our farmers up and down this country who, again, are suffering because of that hard Brexit being imposed by Douglas Ross's Conservatives. And in terms of helping rural Scotland, assisting rural Scotland as best we possibly can, we know that rural Scotland are also suffering the consequences of that Tory cost of living crisis. We know high energy costs, we know high inflation costs have all hit agriculture of Scotland hard. And that's why we provided support for community-led development, including 11.6 million in 22-23 to over 300 community-led projects, strengthening resilience and sustainability of grassroots rural community groups. So yes, I will continue to show leadership, not just in terms of my party, but in terms of this country and protecting it from the harm and the misery and frankly the cruelty of Conservative UK governments. Douglas Ross, it's all just deflection and spin from this useless First Minister. Questions about Fergus Ewing are answered Mr. Ross, with Boris Johnson. Mr Ross, Questions Mr. About Ross, let's conduct our business with courtesy and respect. Well, I think it's perfectly respectful. I, I, think, Thank you. I think anyone viewing the three attempted answers by the First Minister there will reach the same conclusion as I have. Because questions about Fergus Ewing and an SNP MSP are responded to with answers about Boris Johnson. And then the First Minister stands up to quote the President of NFU Scotland, not realising what he said at the Highland Show this morning. And the damning... Uh, assessment of his government and the SNP Green Coalition government from Martin Kennedy, from Scotland's farmers and crofters. I hope when the First Minister does visit the Highland Show this week, he will listen to Scotland's farming representatives and what they think about his government. Because it is clearer than ever before that the green tail is wagging the SNP dog. The extremist Greens in government seem to be calling an awful lot of the shots of this SNP government. Their influence is having a damaging, damaging effect on every policy area. On deposit return scheme, they're risking jobs and businesses. On farming, they're risking rural livelihoods. On gender reform, they're risking women's rights. On fishing, they're risking the very future of this industry. On oil and gas, they're risking Scotland's energy security. The SNP are, making, uh, are so out of touch with mainstream Scotland because they are being dragged that way by the Scottish Greens. So just why is Hamza Youssef, in the words of one of his other MSPs dancing to the tune of an extremist party. First Minister. I'm being accused of being out of touch by the leader of the third party in Scotland, Douglas Ross, when he took over the mantle, of course, of leadership. His party was in second place. He's managed to lead them into third place, presiding officer. So I'm hardly Members. going to take any lectures whatsoever on leadership from Douglas Ross. And let me just talk First Minister, to some of the issues. First Minister, we will hear the First Minister. Please continue. Let me just talk to some of the issues that Douglas Ross has mentioned. He's mentioned the deposit return scheme. He's mentioned, of course, the Gender Reform Recognition Act. And of course, on a number of areas, including those two, the Conservatives have done nothing but allow their, their colleagues in Westminster 
to undermine this parliament, undermine devolution. And that is hardly a surprise from the party presiding officer that opposed the creation of the Scottish Parliament in the very first place. And Douglas Ross asks why we're in a cooperation agreement with the Greens. We are in that cooperation agreement because I do think people want different political parties, and yes, the SNP and the Greens do have differences, coming together to work in the national interest. But why else is that cooperation agreement so important? Because the number one issue facing not just Scotland, but the entire planet is the climate emergency that threatens the sustainability of our planet. And time and time and time again, presiding officer, when we bring forward action to tackle that climate emergency, where are they, the Conservatives? They oppose every single measure. And why do they oppose every single measure? Because, frankly, presiding officer, they are morphing into climate change deniers. Thank you. Question number two. Anna On Monday, Labour launched our mission to make Scotland and the UK a clean energy superpower. It is an ambitious and far-reaching plan with four objectives. It will deliver lower bills. Your constituents will get lower bills, more jobs, greater energy security and make the UK and Scotland a global climate leader. And It is backed up by GB Energy, a new publicly owned energy company that will be headquartered here in Scotland. So does the First Minister welcome this significant and transformative investment? First Minister. I'm delighted that Anna Sarwar has been able to clarify uh, Scottish Labour's position because Labour have had about five different positions yeah. on this in about five yeah. uh, different weeks, uh, presiding uh, officer. And of course, uh, I, I'm often uh, saying to Anna Sarwar that uh, he is far more style uh, over substance. So it was good to hear a little bit of substance from Scottish Labour today. Uh, the problem was, of course, that the substance was panned by those in the industry, was panned, of course, by climate change activists, was panned, of course, by the trade unions, and then, of course, was panned by members of his own party as well. So finally, when we get Anna Sarwar members. talking about some substance, he manages to fluff it. So what I will say to Anna Sarwar very clearly is that when it comes to Scotland's renewable energy, why on earth should the people of Scotland trust a Labour Party who just a couple of weeks ago scrapped their £28 billion Green Prosperity Fund. Why on earth should they trust a Labour Party presiding officer who have been part of successive UK governments that have taken £350 billion from the North East? And Anna Sarwar thinks we should be thankful for the fact that they're going to base a little bit of a government department here in Scotland. I'll tell you what the people of Scotland want. What the people of Scotland want is full powers over our renewable energy so it can't just be squandered by a UK government, whether that's Tory or whether that's Labour presiding officer. Deary, deary me, that was a terrible answer from the First Minister. I mean, I'm not sure this is the week the First Minister should be talking about divisions in a political party. This is a serious plan and a serious issue, but sadly, we don't have a serious First Minister. Because what Hamza Youssef can't bring himself to even welcome these plans, this is billions of investment for Scotland, more jobs for Scotland, 
lower bills for Scotland and greater energy security, but he would rather side with the Tories and, in his own words, make life difficult for Labour. Let's so let's hear Mr at, Sarwar. So let's look at what he's opposing. He talks about substance. Let's look at the substance of what he is opposing. Investment to make Scotland a leader in carbon capture and storage, onshore wind, offshore wind and hydrogen. 50,000 clean power jobs in Scotland. 17,000 jobs upgrading homes to make them energy efficient. 1.4 million homes upgraded and 1,000 local power projects. And GBE, a publicly owned energy company for the UK, headquartered here in Scotland. But no, Mr No Style, Mr No Substance can't support any of them. So is the First Minister so blinded by his opposition to a Labour government that he can't accept what's good for Scotland? Minister? Of course a GP energy company would be based in Scotland because we have the majority of the renewables yes. and the natural resources here in Scotland. And Anna Sauer says we should be thanking our London masters for the crumbs off the table. Well, forgive me, presiding officer, if I have far more ambition for our country than this leader of the Scottish Labour Party. And Anna Sauer. Thank you. And Anna Sauer. It says that he doesn't want to hear from me. I'll tell him my thoughts, of course, clearly. But let's listen to what Barney Crockett, former Labour leader of Aberdeen City Council, uh, who quit following Labour's green energy plan. He stated, and Anna Sauer should listen, Anna Sauer says, are we siding with them? I'm quoting a Labour councillor, for goodness sake. So why doesn't Anna Sauer listen to what Barney Crockett had to say? He said, and I'm quoting directly, Margaret Thatcher never delivered a more brutal put-down of an industry than that delivered by Keir Starmer in Edinburgh. Oh, there's more to come. There's more to come. Moreover, he avoided answering any direct questions about Aberdeen. Rather, he deflected to Anna Sauer, who made no specific response to the city. Because not for the first time has Anna Sauer and the Scottish Labour Party prepared to completely abandon every single worker in the North East. And, presiding officer, we simply will not do that. When it comes to a just transition, we have put our money where our mouth is. A £500 million just transition fund. What Scottish Labour will do is put the workers of the North East on the scrap heap, and we won't be prepared to do that, presiding officer. Mr Sarwar, I'd be grateful if you could avoid the use of nicknames in future questions. Anna Sarwar. I was responding to a, a criticism the First Minister made of me. I wasn't using any nicknames uh, to the uh, First Minister. Uh, but I, think it's, I, think it, I was clarifying that I was not using any nicknames. Now, it's really important to say that these plans will ensure we don't make the same mistakes that Margaret Thatcher made. And actually, the sleepwalking that's happening by this government is what would repeat those mistakes. Because this is an SNP government that's had 16 years to deliver for Scotland, and they failed. In 2017, the SNP promised a public energy company. They scrapped it. Alex Salmond told us Scotland would be the Saudi Arabia of renewables. They promised 130,000 green jobs and failed to deliver. Nicola Sturgeon could have taken a public stake in Scotland, but she chose to sell it off on the cheap. After 16 years in government, people across our country are looking for action. And Labour has a plan for more jobs, lower bills, greater energy security and climate leadership. 
presiding officer, there is going to be a global leader in the clean energy revolution. The difference is, Keir Starmer and I believe that global leader will be Scotland and the UK. Why don't Hamza Youssef and the Tories? First Minister. Can I remind uh, Labour, because Anna Sarwar doesn't know this, it seems, what his policy is. Time and time again, UK Labour politicians have said they want to use Scotland's natural resources to give a council tax freeze to people in England. So once again, Anna Sarwar and the UK Labour Party view our North East as a cash cow. They want to take money from the North East in order to be able to fund tax freezes, council tax freezes for the rest of the UK. The difference between Anna Sarwar and I is I want to keep the profit that is made and invest it in communities here in Scotland while he wants to squander it as successive UK governments have continued to do. And when it comes to investing in our renewables, when it comes to investing in our North East, how on earth does Anna Sawar square that with the fact that his party has just dumped their £28 billion flagship Green Prosperity Fund? So Anna Sarwar doesn't want to hear from me. He doesn't want to hear from his own councillor, somebody who was his own councillor before quitting his party in protest at Anna Sarwar's plans. Why doesn't he listen to the trade union movement? GMB union have said, and I'll again quote them directly, uh, that uh, he warned of the Guy Smith warned of the dangers of cliff edge policies on North Sea oil and gas. He said the inconvenient truth for some is that the UK is still going to need oil and gas until 2050 and beyond. And a ban on new licences ignores this reality. So let me say to Anna Sawar to end on a point of consensus. Neither he nor I see the future of Scotland being an unlimited extraction of oil and gas. The difference between Anna Sawar and I is that he believes turning off the taps today will be good for the North East and good for Scotland. I believe in a just transition that means that we will not leave a single worker on the North East in the scrap heap. It's a shame that UK Labour don't feel the same way, presiding officer. Question number three, Mark Druskell. Thank you. Um, to ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government will recommit to the leadership needed to tackle the climate emergency. First Minister. We will, and absolutely this Government uh, will lead on that. I set out in the policy perspective, I'm absolutely committed to tackling, tackling the climate emergency urgently and fairly. This week we published our response to the Climate Change Committee's annual report, accepting 98 of their 99 recommendations, with the others being fully reserved, with the other one being fully reserved. While it is of course disappointing that we've missed the 2021 uh, greenhouse gas emission targets so narrowly, it does demonstrate that we're not far behind where those world-leading targets dictate that we should be. And our draft climate change plan that will be published in November this year uh, will lay out how we will reduce emissions to meet future targets. We'll also deepen our global leadership on international climate justice, pushing for bold action across the world, advocating the human rights of those most impacted by climate change and supporting vulnerable communities through a climate justice fund. Mark Ruskell. Can I thank the First Minister for that considered answer? There is, of course, a consensus for deeper, more far-reaching action on the climate emergency. Scientists, campaigners, communities on the front line are demanding it, and the public mood is shifting. And most MSPs in this chamber, apart from, of course, the extremist and increasingly climate-denying Tories, know what must be done. Yet too often when action is proposed, it gets drowned out by naysayers, 
defenders of business as usual and those content with watching the planet burn. Time is running out. So will the First Minister commit to a climate conversation later this year, bringing together those focused Let's on hear action Mr. to speed up the journey to a greener, fairer future? First Minister. Well, we are committed to doing more than that. I'm more than happy to take a consideration uh, away for a climate conversation or convention to bring the appropriate stakeholders together. Because we know, for the good of our planet, we have to go faster. We have to put more urgency and pace behind the action that we are taking. And that is why, of course, the Scottish Government has an enviable track record in making sure that we invest in our just transition. Yep. It's why we have an enviable record yep. when it comes to ensuring that we unleash the potential of the green economy. But Mark Ruskell is absolutely right that every time the Scottish Government bring forward proposals to tackle the climate emergency, yep. there are far too many across this chamber, but particularly in the Conservative Party, who oppose our actions time and time and time again. So we'll continue with our commitment to that just transition uh, to net zero, that uh, unwavering £500 million fund. And I'm more than happy, as I say, to commit to a meeting, to a conversation, to a convention uh, ahead of COP28 to discuss what more we can do to meet our climate ambitions. But it's so important that we don't just talk the talk, but when we bring, the Scottish Government brings forward important interventions that they're not opposed Members. time and time again by the climate-denying Conservative Party. Sarah Boyack. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, given the cost of living crisis hitting both renters and homeowners and the urgent need to decarbonise our homes to meet our climate targets, how many homes will the Scottish Government's funding retrofit this year? And what lessons have been learned from last year's failure to spend the allocated £133 million on refitting our homes to make them energy efficient and affordable to heat? First Minister. We will have the exact figures to hand and I am happy to, the appropriate Minister writes uh, to Sina Bayak uh, with the detail that she is requesting. Uh, what I would say that uh, it is so important that we reduce heat in, that we reduce our heat uh, in, in our buildings and that is why of course uh, the emissions that come uh, from heat in buildings uh, is why of course the new standard was recently published and the reason why that, new re that standard uh, was published because we know that around 20% of our emissions uh, come from heat in buildings so as well as investing in new buildings the retrofitting is an important issue and we are committed to investing uh, in retrofitting and of course uh, this is an issue that doesn't just affect Scotland doesn't just affect the rest of the UK but the whole world is going to have to look at putting serious amounts of investment public, of course private investment uh, as well, uh, in relation to retrofitting our uh, buildings, both residential uh, and non-residential buildings. So this is an issue that we take seriously. Uh, the member will be aware about our heat and building uh, bill that we will, of course, uh, introduce uh, shortly. And I would ask that uh, all political parties uh, do engage in that in the spirit uh, of collaboration, because we know that when it comes to tackling the climate emergency, we are all going to have to come together, particularly on issues around heat and building, in order to tackle uh, what is the biggest threat this planet faces. Question number four, Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to improve access to sexual health advice. First Minister. Access to sexual health advice and services continues to be one of the Scottish Government's priorities, which is why we are currently re revising the sexual health and bloodborne virus framework. Sexual health is also a key priority in our Women's Health Plan, which looks to improve access to contraception services. The development of the NHS Inform Women's Health Platform provides easy access to information, 
including contraception and sexual health. We also have ambitious targets to eliminate hepatitis C as a public health threat by March 2025 and eliminate HIV transmission by 2030. The framework will set out priorities for sexual health and BBV uh, and will also be making an announcement on its publication very shortly indeed. Claire Adamson. Minister for his answer. According to Public Health Scotland, cases of gonorrhea were steadily increasing prior to COVID pandemic, but have increased rapidly since the end of 2021. They are now almost 50% higher than those recorded in 2019. Does the First Minister agree that these figures speak to the need to both redouble our efforts firstly to encourage people of all ages and at all stages of life to practice safe sex and secondly, to end the stigma around seeking medical assistance in the cases of STIs. First Minister. Yes, I do agree with uh, Claire Adamson wholeheartedly. And I think that point, that, uh, point of emphasis that Claire Adamson makes on those of all ages, I think, is really important. Because although we have a lot of uh, outreach work, uh, awareness raising campaigns that are targeted towards young people, uh, when it comes to, to, to STIs, of course, they can affect people of uh, all ages. And we know following the pandemic, specialist sexual health services have been working hard to try to reduce that backlog in contraception provision and recovering to pre-COVID levels uh, of uh, services. Uh, there are simple and painless tests uh, for gonorrhea. It can be cured and, and harm limited uh, if appropriate antibiotics are given uh, at an early stage. Uh, and and uh, to, to add to the point I was making uh, earlier on, or just a moment ago, uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Professor uh, Nicholas Deedman has written to NHS boards to highlight the importance of early diagnosis of gonorrhea. So the government will do everything we can uh, to raise awareness of this important issue, but make sure uh, it is a campaign that is not uh, just targeted towards uh, one specific demographic, but given uh, that people of all ages can be affected by STIs, by uh, gonorrhea, we'll ensure uh, that we take a broad, brush, uh, broad brush approach in that respect. Sandish Gohani. Thank you. As an NHS GP, I see these patients all the time. And unfortunately, they keep coming back to see me to say they're unable to access sexual health clinics. So what would the First Minister say to my patients? First Minister. Well, I would just say uh, what I said a moment ago, that of course there are backlogs that are being worked on. So I understand where there may be slightly longer waits than any of us uh, would like. Uh, but that is why funding is being provided uh, to NHS boards annually through our outcomes framework to deliver on a range of these uh, strategic uh, uh, priorities. £800,000, for example, of funding uh, will shortly be allocated to projects which support progress to improve sexual health uh, and bloodborne virus uh, outcomes. Uh, we've received a large number of very high-quality bids and confirming those successfully in the coming weeks. But also, we've also provided half a million pounds to support the development of an online STI testing service, a pilot project that's currently underway in NHS Lothian. So I'm not denying uh, the points that uh, Sandish Kohani is making. I think there are still challenges as we recover our services, all of our uh, NHS and social care services in the back of the pandemic. This government is putting the appropriate and requisite funding in place uh, to try to alleviate those backlogs to ensure people get the services they need in a timely manner. Question number five, Jamie Green. Thank you. To ask the First Minister whether he will provide an update on whether the Scottish Government is fully committed to improving the safety and condition of all of Scotland's major roads. First Minister. We are uh, fully committed to improving road safety and as such we continue to invest in the safety and condition of our motorway and trunk road network. For example, we are currently progressing or have recently completed key improvements 
on the A9, A96, A92, A90, A77, A737, A720, A83 and A82. Our future investment priorities are set out in the STPR2, which was published in December last year, and a focus on improving safety, climate change adaptation and resilience of the road network. However, it's also worth noting, of course, that Scotland's 32 local authorities are responsible for the operation and maintenance of their respective local road network. Jamie Green. Uh, can I thank the First Minister for that update? Of course, much has rightly been said in this place about the dismal progress in improving the A9 and the A96, but the reality is right across Scotland, there are far too many roads which are not just crumbling, but they're actually costing lives. Uh, in the south and west of Scotland, in my area, the A75, the A77, the A737, the A84, A85, A8, the M8 is at permanent gridlock. I could go on and on. Far too many single carriage roads are accident hotspots. And over the last three years, we've lost, sadly, over 450 lives, each one a tragedy. It should not be a discussion about if these roads will see upgrade investment. It should be a conversation about when they will see upgrade and investment, First Minister. So I have a very specific question uh, to ask you this afternoon. Are there any any major and vital road building projects or upgrades that were promised and pledged by the SNP government, which will no longer go ahead as a direct result of the Butte House Agreement? First Minister. What, what of course, makes our uh, job more difficult when it comes to capital infrastructure projects is the continued cut to our capital budget by the UK government uh, over the years. Therefore, we have, of course, a limited pot uh, whereby to invest in capital infrastructure, not just road building projects, but other capital infrastructure projects so crucial to the people of Scotland uh, up and down the country. Uh, we do have a strong record when it comes to investing uh, in our trunk road uh, network. Uh, Jamie Green mentioned uh, a few uh, of the roads that we have invested in. For example, uh, the A9, £430 million of investment that have gone into the duelling uh, of uh, the A9. We're fully committed to ensuring that duelling between Perth uh, and uh, Inverness. He mentioned the A77. This government proud, of course, to have invested in the Maybole Bypass in the A77. In terms of the A75, another road mentioned by uh, Jamie uh, Green, we have uh, made improvements, but of course Transport Scotland have also submitted uh, an A75 uh, business case to the UK Department uh, for Transport as part of their Union, Union Connectivity Development Fund. So we're hoping that, of course, uh, that will get backing uh, from the Scottish Conservatives uh, and, uh, indeed, uh, from uh, the UK Government. So uh, we have a, a very strong track record when it comes to investing in our trunk road network. But what I would say to Jamie Green uh, is that would, that job would be far easier to do uh, if the UK Government didn't continue to cut our capital budget. Presiding officer. Yeah. Question number six, Pam Duncan-Glancy. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government is responding to the ongoing industrial disputes in further and higher education. First Minister. Well, the Scottish Government has no direct role in resolving industrial disputes in the further and higher education sectors. We are clear that we expect trade unions and their employers to work together to resolve issues around pay, around terms, around conditions. And the Minister for Higher and Further Education has met with both college and university employers and indeed trade unions in recent weeks, urging them to engage in constructive and meaningful dialogue in pursuit of a resolution to these uh, disputes. I recognise that students are being adversely affected by the industrial action and I expect both colleges and universities to have appropriate mitigations in place to minimise any disruption, including uh, from the impact of marking and assessment boycotts. Pam Duncan-Glancy. 
The Chamber may be aware of the breaking news in the last few minutes that the young man on the Titan submersible is a student in Glasgow, and I'm sure everyone here will join me in sharing their thoughts with him and his family at this unprecedented and difficult time. Signing officer, I'm afraid the answer from the First Minister is unacceptable and further lack of leadership. I and my colleagues on the Labour benches support the staff and trade unions and their right to strike, and we stand with them in their decision to do so. We know it has been one they have not taken lightly. They have been pushed to the brink. The First Minister must accept that this industrial action is a result of a lack of leadership and complete inaction in the further and higher education se sector by the Scottish Government and a consequence of years of real terms budget cuts which have left staff and students paying the price. So can he tell me today, will he intervene and end this inaction or will he allow students to walk across the stage at their graduation ceremonies with a blank piece of paper? First, Minister. Well, first and foremost, let me uh, associate myself with the remarks that Pam uh, Duncan Glancy makes. I wasn't aware uh, of that news. And of course, my uh, thoughts are with everybody uh, who has been uh, affected, not just their families, their loved ones, but of course the communities uh, that will be impacted by that news. Uh, in terms of uh, our leadership in relation to both the higher education and further education uh, sectors, uh, Pam Duncan Glancy is wrong to characterise it uh, by saying that we haven't appropriately funded uh, those uh, sectors. If I look at since 2012-2013, over the course of the last decade, the college sector's resource budget has increased by over 168 million, or 33%, uh, in cash terms. And in the same uh, time frame between 2012-2013 and 2019-20, the university sector resource budget has increased by 23 uh, million pounds. So we are providing appropriate funding. Uh, of course, there will always be calls uh, to fund those sectors uh, more. That what I will do, and I, I made this point when I met with trade unions earlier this week in the UCU. Uh, where present, that I will continue to call, this government will continue to call uh, for employers to get round the table, enter into meaningful discussions with our trade unions, because we know industrial action is not wanted by anybody. We know trade unions don't want to go on strike. Uh, we know it, doesn't affect, it, it, it severely affects uh, uh, employers, but we know, of course, importantly, the most adverse impact is on our students. So I would urge all of those involved to get back round the table to make sure that there is a fair funding settlement. In terms of the right to strike, I think, again, Pam Duncan Glancy is well off the mark uh, when she says that we don't support that. This government does support people's right to strike, the right to withdraw yeah. labour. It is, of course, Keir Starmer who has told his front bench not to join in picket lines yeah. up and down the country. That's something uh, I won't be saying uh, to, of course, uh, any politician. So we do support any worker, whether they're in higher education, further education, to their right to strike. Yeah. Bill Kidd. Thank you very much, President Officer. Um, it's important to reiterate that universities and colleges are autonomous institutions in the Scottish Government. As the First Minister says, there is no locus to involve itself in the internal disputes. But can I ask the First Minister that, as we know, that it is those who work in the further and higher education institutions across Scotland that have made them a major international success story. And therefore, it is vitally important that a settlement is based on fair work principles and that those running these institutions must reach as much soon as possible a proper relationship in finance with the staff. 
First Minister. Yes, I couldn't uh, agree more uh, with that. And, and, and the whole point of the letter that was sent by Graham Day uh, to the sector was to reiterate those very points. It was sent to all college principals, uh, and it could not have been stronger about the importance of our commitment to fair work principles. So, uh, Bill Kidd is absolutely right. Operational decisions um, on resourcing, on staffing matters, are for individual institutions. We don't have, as ministers, a direct role uh, in these decisions. But fair work principles must be the guiding light when it comes to the settlement of these uh, disputes. And I would urge, once again, uh, all of those uh, employers uh, to meaningfully engage, get around the table uh, and ensure that we get a settlement in the best interest, of course, of staff, but I would suggest, more importantly, of the students that have been affected. Stephen Kerr. What's so terribly disappointing about the way the First Minister is answering these questions is he's used this as an occasion to engage in political knockabout when what we really know is that this is an issue about young people. Because whether or not we agree with the lecturers or not, surely the First Minister recognises that these are students who have had their education disrupted by COVID restrictions and are now being used as collateral in this dispute. So will the First Minister take this opportunity to send a message from this chamber today that young people should not be treated as collateral in this, in this dispute and that their work should be properly assessed and properly celebrated? First Minister. I'm happy to reiterate that point because it is what I've said in response to the questions yeah. that have been asked just a moment ago. I've said time and time again when asked about uh, these disputes that ultimately it is the, not just young people, it's students, all of them are young and not so young, that are being impacted and that are being affected by these disputes. And when I spoke to trade unions uh, this week, uh, I absolutely got the uh, very strong impression from trade unions, as I often do, that they have only gone uh, on, uh, have only taken industrial action because they see it as a last resort. I don't doubt that for a minute. I don't doubt it for a second. So it's so important that, uh, yes, as a collective, this chamber comes together, and I, as First Minister, send a very clear message that we expect employers to get back around the table with the trade unions and come to a settlement that is, of course, uh, embedded in our principles around fair work. We move to constituency and general supplementaries, and I call Rona Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last week I chaired a round table with media representatives, campaigners and cross-party MSPs on the media's role in tackling violence against women. We have agreed to meet again and of course the First Minister would be welcome to attend. But in the meantime, can I ask what the Scottish Government uh, has done uh, on the impact, what analysis it's done on the impact of gendered online harassment on women's safety? First Minister. I'm grateful to Rona Mackay for raising this issue, and I uh, put on record uh, my admiration for Rona Mackay for raising this issue on many, many occasions. And there have been other parliamentarians uh, who have rightly uh, done so. And of course, if Rona Mackay uh, sends me the invitation across to a further uh, conversation, if I'm not able to attend it, I'll be sure that somebody from the Scottish Government uh, is able to attend, because we all know that abuse or bullying uh, online and offline is totally unacceptable. Uh, we're continuing to work closely with the UK Government and Ofcom uh, in developing proposals for stronger safety measures online to help protect children and young people uh, through the UK Government's online safety bill. Rona Mackay will be aware that I've written to the UK Government on the back of the excellent campaign, important campaign uh, that has been promoted by the Daily Record in relation to violence uh, in our schools, because I do believe our media companies could be doing a lot more in this regard. Within the Scottish Government, uh, we're starting work to consider how we, give great, how we gather I should say, greater analysis regarding online harms, uh, building on some of the reflections on the, of the Women in Justice Senior Leadership Group. Ros McCall. 
Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will be aware of the publication today of the second report of the Promise Oversight Board. It states that due to the current pace of change, they believe that delivering the original aims of the Plan 2124 is no longer realistic and that a lot more needs to be done to keep the promise by 2030. The Board also calls for explicit leadership and drive from the Scottish Government to articulate a clear set of principles, outcomes and milestones that will guarantee the promise is kept so Scotland's care-experienced young people life chances are not defined by the fact that they've been in care. So what will the First Minister do right now to ensure that keeping the promise remains on track? First Minister. Well, this is uh, an issue of the utmost importance, not just to me as First Minister, not just to the government uh, that I lead, but I am certain it's of the utmost importance to every single parliamentarian uh, here. And I want to give an absolute guarantee, cast iron, uh, commitment to every single person that has experienced care, every single care experienced person uh, whether young uh, or at any stage throughout their life, uh, that we fully intend to keep uh, the promise. Uh, that uh, report, uh, the report that uh, uh, is, is referenced by Rose McCall uh, from the Oversight Board published uh, today, uh, is, uh, I think, a reminder, a wake-up call, in fact, uh, that we have to move with more urgency uh, and with more pace. Now, that uh, report has been published. We will give it full and due consideration. Uh, what is important within that oversight uh, board report it was referenced uh, that uh, the, 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 the longer term uh, target in relation to 2030 can be met, but it requires uh, swift and urgent action. We have uh, uh, brought forward a range of actions already. I'm happy to, to ensure that Natalie Dawn writes to Rose McCall with detail of what we have done, uh, but also uh, I can uh, absolutely confirm that we will introduce a promise bill uh, by the end of this parliamentary session to make any further legislative changes required to keep the promise. Clear Baker. Um, thank you very much, President Officer. Uh, the First Minister will be aware of calls made by my constituent Lawrence Cowan and his four-year-old daughter Ailish to improve funding for disabled children across Scotland. Ailish has a rare genetic condition and the yard in Edinburgh is a place where she is celebrated for who she is and not defined by her disability. The Scottish Government's decision to freeze funding levels since 2016 means that the Yard's funding has effectively reduced from £163 per family to just £39 this year. So, will the First Minister agree to meet with the Yard and their families to discuss how the Scottish Government can better work with them to ensure that no disabled child in Scotland feels alone? First Minister. Well, I, I, absolutely, I absolutely agree uh, with the sentiment behind uh, Claire Baker's uh, question, and uh, I'm happy to look at the case in more detail. And of course, I'll ensure that the government meets uh, with those families that have been affected uh, by uh, the issue that Claire Baker raises and uh, the good work that the Yard uh, does. So, uh, if Claire Baker will forgive me, I will look at the detail uh, of the work that is done uh, by the Yard. I will look at uh, the funding issues uh, that have been raised, and I will ensure that we. Uh, do uh, engage in the way that Claire Baker uh, has asked. But what I would say uh, to Claire Baker is there is much that we have done, particularly through uh, Social Security Scotland, in order to help uh, those with disabilities. But I take the point, particularly around the cost of living crisis, which has affected those uh, who are the most vulnerable in our society even harder uh, than, than, than anybody else. So there is more that we absolutely can do. Uh, I'm open to exploring what that is. And in relation to the work that the Yard are doing and the issues raised uh, by Ailish and her, her, her family, uh, will ensure that the Scottish Government engages uh, to hear more about uh, that good work. And Beatrice Wishart. 
Thank you, Presiding Officer. My constituents can't book sailings between Shetland and Aberdeen beyond 30th September because Transport Scotland's not opened up the booking system beyond that date. And it appears to be a bureaucratic decision that's got little to do with meeting the needs of the people who rely on this lifeline service to the Scottish mainland. It's the third time islanders have faced a cliff edge for bookings in the past 12 months. Results from my survey of a 1,000 responses show 85% of people want to book more than three months in advance, and indeed Serco and Northlink frequently tell islanders to book early. I have repeatedly been advised that the system will open as soon as possible, but those are hollow-sounding words for my constituents. Does the First Minister agree with me that his Glasgow constituents would not put up with such travel restrictions, and can he answer why mine should? First Minister. Look, Peter's wish does raise very important points. Indeed, I don't think it's helpful to kind of pit one part of the country against another, because I think all of us should have access to transport services. And in the case of Beatrice Wishart's constituents, they are lifeline uh, services that are so, so important. So Beatrice Wishart does uh, raise a very important point uh, indeed. There can sometimes be uh, reasons, uh, technical reasons, for why booking systems can't be open. But I will look at this issue personally, and I'm sure that the Transport Minister uh, engages uh, with uh, Beatrice Wishart on this particular issue, because if the booking system can be opened earlier, uh, clearly that would be uh, of great help and, uh, and, and use uh, to uh, Shetlanders, to island communities, um, and, and, and we will see what can be done in that regard, and I will ensure that we update uh, Beatrice Wishart as soon as we possibly can. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. Point of order, Point of order Liam. Very grateful, Presiding Officer. In an answer to Anas Sarwar, the First Minister said, of course, the GB Energy Company would be based in Scotland because we have the majority of the renewables here in Scotland. Now, if he was over his brief, he would know at the year-end 2022, Scotland had 21% of total UK renewables installed capacity and 26% of renewable electricity generated. Now, since he hasn't corrected the record from the last time I pointed out his error, could you guide him as to how he can rectify his latest gaffe? The member will be aware that the content of members' contributions is not generally a matter for the chair. The member will also be aware that there, are, there is a mechanism which exists by which members can correct any inaccuracy. Thank you. We will now have a brief suspension in order to clear the gallery and to allow members to leave the chamber.